0: Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast, brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies.
1: Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottons, And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. We're so glad you joined us. Have you ever wanted to brainstorm with an ag tech equipment manufacturer? Well, that's just what we did on today's podcast. Joe Bassett of Dawn Equipment and Underground Ag joins us to discuss the full gamut of equipment, technology, software, management practices, and farming mindsets that drive the research, development, investment, and implementation of these technologies. Grab a cup of coffee and hold on tight as Monty and Joe dig in through all these topics.
0: Well, thank you, Joe, for joining us today. Uh, it's a real pleasure to have you here on the Aggie Merge podcast. Uh, we like to start off with a lot of people who we talk with. Just tell us your story. Tell us about yourself, your company, kind of the origins, you know, where you're located and and where you, what, if, what has gotten you to where you are today?
2: Oof, um yeah, my name is Joe Bassett. I'm the CEO of Dawn Equipment Company and Underground Agriculture. And um, well, Dawn is a company that, you know, a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, the company actually dates to the early 90s um, when my my father partnered with some other uh, people to found the company. This was the sort of beginning of the kind of no-till revolution, uh, you know, Roundup was coming on the scenes. Uh, the company actually started as a, you know, as a ridge till company because remember, ridge till was sort of the, the sort of precursor to no till in many cases. And and our the first product was this, um, this knife that you would use to inject ammonia under ridges. And then there was an opportunity to, um, you know, become one of the uh, companies that that was a licensee um to make the toothed wheel road cleaners and um you know we we seized that opportunity and the company grew really fast and uh uh, in the early to mid 90s um uh another partner of my father's at that time uh steve favor you know uh, created the first yield monitor in the mid 90s and and that's a whole saga in and of itself um the uh uh you know things things kind of went up and to the right and then you know jim my father looked around at like the planters that were on the market at the time and were like oh these are junk we're gonna make you know a really um a really good one and so he made the paradigm 9000 planter which in 1996 was a planter with central fill and central fill fertilizer and uh Hydraulic downforce control and like you know, it, it still would be a contemporary planter today. Um, really, really, really interesting design um, that was absolutely the right thinking. It was too far ahead of its time, you know. And 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 part of that was kind of when I was in high school is you know seeing that transpire. Um, you know the company basically, you know, sort of ran out of runway. We we weren't manufacturing enough in house at that time, and it we just basically ran out of runway. The company um, went through uh, bankruptcy in the late '90s, uh, sort of when I was in high school and college, and and shrunk all the way down to you know just um, uh, four people, and you know, but it always we always had a kind of a. a core following because we made really heavy duty things with really high quality components that lasted a long time and didn't break. And they kind of always sold and, you know, and it kind of limped along for a few years. Um, uh, But there was always a, a core market of people that were buying some of those basic attachment products for the planters. And, um, I went to the university of Iowa, And uh, I was, you know, I I studied uh, physics at the University of Iowa. I worked as a machinist at the Department of Physics when I was there, you know, because I where it was phenomenal. And, um, you know, there were uh, it's not like engineering schools where there's tons and tons of students. There's more faculty than students. And, you you know, they I was not a typical student. They gave me a really long um, leash and I got to build things and I got to get into, um, uh, I was really interested in, uh, parallel software. I was, uh, making different, um, components in the machine shop at that time. And, you know, kind of had to, uh, make a decision whether to come back to the, the family business. It it did not look like a smart move at the time. Um, you know, the company was sort of limping around in the early two thousands with a million dollars of sales or something like that. And, um, you know, but it, it, it seemed like at least a good starting point. And I always like making things out of metal and designing and manufacturing. And so just to have even that small starting point, I think was really, um, was, was worth it. And so we come into the, the business and, um, Basically, just made mistake after mistake after mistake in my 20s and, and early 30s. know learning experiences. and, and I, <laughs>
0: That's what I, they are.
2: <laughs> I, I don't know that it's the wrong way either. So, you know, probably we made our first strip till row units around 2006, 2007. Things kind of started working there. Um, then we made the first, you know, planters kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of the planter attachments at that time were kind of manually controlled. Like the farmer would stop the tractor and walk back there and just kind of fiddle with it, which, you know, you 36 row planter, you'd be at it for an hour while you're making an adjustment, you know, and so a lot of pins, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it was just, it was just dumb. So we kind of made the first remotely controllable planter attachments in like 2007 2008 and that um that caught fire uh we made some designs that really last a long time and generate real value and are still like the gfx Hero cleaner is one of the few planter attachments on the market that is not a throwaway it holds resale value um, it's completely rebuildable and uh the earliest units that were produced in 2007 are still in use today <laughs> um then we said okay well we're kind of automating this road cleaner well why don't we and we're making that hydraulic why don't we make the downforce system hydraulic too and just sort of stumbled into that at the right time and you know we had never like i i i just assumed naively like i'm a big proponent of naivete and um the uh because if you're not naive you just never do anything because you you'd actually realize how hard it is to do things. And, you know, we were like, all right, well, we'll just start making these, you know, small hydraulic actuation systems, like how hard can it be? And, you know, we, we got our first uh, CNC machine in like, I don't know, 2004, 2005, or something like that. And there's, there's, you know, unbelievable amounts of scale sitting on the other side of this wall right now. But and, and, and we just started making these hydraulic downforce systems. And it went really, really badly. For a long time <laughs> and um, just all you know the components need to be designed in a certain way to last and to work in an environment like like farming right it, it's a it's a really hard environment to design really precision control systems because um, you know they get there's no basically our new metric for our our control planter control systems is all around uptime performance right Mm -hmm. because the technology is great but as soon as you have any downtime Mm -hmm. it becomes a negative because the clients are writing big checks and they the windows of operation are so short they have essentially zero tolerance for downtime okay and so our objective has to be zero downtime producing failures well in order to get there it took several years so we started making these downforce cylinders that were are really novel and ha- we have this diverse patent portfolio in this area too because ours you know incorporate energy storage so right as the planters going through the field it's kind of bouncing and vibrating we're not we're not shifting the the control valves between you know reducing relieving reducing relieving every single time the planter goes through the field our hydraulics are very stable like you can you, you our, our new systems are actually digital like the reflex down pressure control system where it, it's not a like most of the other systems on the market use these uh pressure control valves and a pressure control valve ha- you, you know you drive like you're trying to set the pressure on the row okay so just for people that don't know very much on this podcast right these are systems that automate um, how hard the planter is pressing on the ground as you go through the field, mm-hmm. and that's really important. Even though, like, like the the singulation of the seed gets so much focus from from the farmers.
0: Well, and you see that all year round. That's why everybody focuses on the picket fence stand because you right. see that at fifty mile an hour, but you don't see the bad seed to soil contact or bad depth placement unless you get a shovel out. Exactly. And, but and and what you're talking about in your system is saves so much oil, you know, because that accumulator that you have built into there, it's 20% of the oil requirement of other, you know, hydraulic down pressure systems.
2: So the first systems we made were called the RFX system, which was like a normal pressure control valve coupled with an accumulator. Um, and that eventually became the deer IRDF system. Okay. And then that that caught fire right that is arguably by volume the highest selling product in that category in the market even though the precision planting products are are you know i think probably more widely known and you know and so around that time like 2015 okay you have uh greg solder um selling precision planting to monsanto for a, a lot of money and i look around and i'm like wait a minute I mean, we're not really like our kind of Venn diagram kind of overlaps with, with that Venn diagram, maybe 25%, but I kind of was thinking, well, let we might as well just steer ourselves into a collision course or try to with, with this other, you know, company, because obviously there's a lot of money and a lot of value there. Right. Like I didn't know anything. Like I People used to tell me to get an MBA. Um, Like I didn't, I I know, I I don't identify as a business person in any way at all. Like I I just don't, my objective is not business. My objective, my, the Dawn and underground agriculture are an infinite game because my objective is to keep playing the game, not to make the most money because I actually
0: got a fellow Simon Sinek follower right here. I
2: I, I enjoy doing it.
0: Like if,
2: if I didn't like, if I hated coming to the office every day,
0: I wouldn't do it, you know? Mm -hmm. But a $280 million payout isn't always bad either. So,
2: (laughs) No, it's not bad. No, I'm happy for Greg and what he accomplished. But yeah, I mean. His timing was perfect on that. And and that doesn't necessarily mean that that timing will ever really come again. Like, what are the really big exits in ag tech, right? You have that. You You have Blue River Technology. That's probably the largest one. You have Climate Corp. Yep. Um, That's what you hear about. Is the big ones okay and and w- what else is there um
0: how uh, there's a few others that have exited but but they don't get the headlines But i mean but, there's
2: many other small ones i mean there aren't that many hundred million plus correct exits, right um you know and so I, I don't know that's not really my goal um my goal is to uh have a great time and to do, make a lasting positive benefit on, um, on farmers lives and on the world. So, you know, but I mean, to that point, okay. So we finally perfected like our new down pressure control systems. So like it, things kept kind of going like this and our structural systems now also use the same active control stuff. Um, it, we, now we make these digital control systems where like a lot of these downforce control systems. If you, if you were to just park them in the ground without disabling the system, they would just chatter. Right. And the, the reflex system is actually digital. Instead of having one valve, it has two, two poppets, right. And a big gas volume. And if the if the force on the gauge wheels of the planter is too low, we pulse one valve. And if it's too high, we pulse the other one. And you're doing that, you know, every 50 milliseconds, just, but the, the gas volume smooths it out. And this year it clicked zero downtime producing failures, but also, you know, I remember being, you know, 10 years ago, my father saying, we are not a software company. We are not an electronics company. Well, unfortunately we basically had to become a software and electronics company in order to compete because um and our our software and embedded control started clicking this year too because again you know okay so 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 up until you know recently we were uh, producing a a deer product and our products for planters are largely sold through the deer distribution network Mm -hmm. i don't think that that's going to continue and i i think that the better and better we do. And the more we advance in some areas, it's likely going to be increasingly difficult to continue sort of piggybacking on top of the deer distribution network, which John Deere just crushes it in distribution. Mm -hmm. Like they're, they're, they're the best. There's dealers everywhere. You can get any part in like 24 hours. Um, That's why people buy green is because at least somebody can come out and make your stuff work. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, And I, you, you've, you've been in the, the, the red ecosystem your entire life. And I think that case people always have kind of a chip on their shoulder about, you know, always being number two or whatever, but you know, I don't know. I, it case, I think, what do you, what do you think you want to read the case tea leaves? Well,
0: okay. So when I was a Case IH dealer, um, was, we were from 90 to 99. So we had, uh, you know, just transitioned from, uh, Teneco to Case Corporation. And that was kind of during that run. And it was before Fiat got involved and the Fiat New Holland merger. So it was a different time than today. Um, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's about the dealer support. So, you know, our dealerships, we, we really focused on parts support and service support. You know, we would sell, we were the ninth largest in North American combine sales and we were in Illinois. I mean, we weren't in wheat country. Mm -hmm. So we, we sold a ton of axial flow combines. And the thing that was interesting is we were, uh, we were running north of 50% market share, north of 60% market share, And we surrounded Moline, Illinois. So
2: that wasn't... You told me earlier, though, sorry to interrupt, but you told me earlier that you ended up with, you know, both times the dealership got sold because you had too much used combine inventory.
0: Right. And what happened uh, in uh, Illinois case is we had uh, 168 used combines on hand. And, you know, we were doing real heavy in the roll program and such. And then all of a sudden commodity markets shifted. You know, we went to eight cent hogs. And, you know, dollar... What was it? Dollar seventy-one corn, and all those kind of things, and nobody—you don't have to buy a combine every year. You know, right. you can fix what you got and run it. So you have to buy seed every year, just like you don't have to buy planter attachments every year. So, or or planting equipment. So it's the same same concept in that there's there's more of a uh, ebb and flow to it. But yeah, I mean that's you know the inventory is what killed us on that, and I think you know today. It's a much different market than what it was 20 years ago, and you're exactly right. Today, deer uh, saturation and coverage is just outstanding, and they've done an excellent job of growing step-by-step, slowly over time, and and they do great work, no doubt.
2: When I was a kid, Case didn't even make a planter for a while,
0: right? No, Case, uh, if it was, it was years and years ago. It wasn't until the acquisition of IH.
2: Or, 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 I mean, Case IH, uh, you know, in, if, when you go from, like, the 90s into the 2000s, like, that's where Kinsey kind of got a start, right? Because Kinsey was, in a sense, piggybacking on right. Case's distribution network.
0: Yeah, almost every Case IH dealer was a Kinsey dealer. We were a Kinsey dealer, too. Because uh, the Cyclo was the the planter that we had. It wasn't until the advanced seed meter came out where you had row by row singulation that it became somewhat competitive again, but never gotten back in there. I, I doubt if they've ever broken 10% share of market. So, you know,
2: I like the um, old uh,
0: case planter designs. Um, the real unit was, you know, designed in 81.
2: No, I I, I even think that positive that that meter, um, well, which was the the one. Oh, the, they
0: call it the ASM, a forty cell right. big big. Plate.
2: No, 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 the drum, the drum, oh, the cyclo, the cyclo planner. Yeah. No, there were actually good ideas there, and you could have, you could have perfected the cyclo meter.
0: Oh, sure, you could use that as your central distribution system. I mean, yeah. the problem is they said, oh, you can drive that planter at seven mile an hour and stuff, which made the spin- singulation even worse. So anyway, those, <laughs> those are the good old days. Right. But I do want to compliment you a little bit. I've run into several people that use Dawn and they've told me, you know, stories of, Hey, I had a problem and no questions asked next day it was replaced. I mean, you know, and that was whatever, 10, 12 years ago. And, and I personally know all of your stuff's built like a tank. I mean it's, oh, it,
2: oh, it's I mean, incredible the quality of your products. We, we so. try, we make mistakes. You oh, sure. you know, one of one of the hard parts is that you know, there's a lot the expectation that you're going to innovate extremely fast. And you know, innovating extremely fast in planting hardware is essentially a recipe for things not going correctly all the time.
0: Oh, there's no it. rain, there's no moisture, there's no fertilizer spills, no oil. I mean, it's a perfect environment that you're working in. I don't understand.
2: People just, you know, people. It, every single, everything. I, sometimes I think, why do things break, and why do things have to break? Like, like on, from a software standpoint. Okay, so I was just having a meeting the other day with the software developers, and um, we were talking about like, okay, this one software glitch is happening with some of the customers in the field, and. Why can't we reproduce this? Like, even though we have, we can make a, like a little like test system with everything exactly the same, the same number of rows, same number of everything. And we can't reproduce exactly the environment in which the customers are, are, you know, seen because there's just so many variables, but it, it, it's hard. I mean, and for when you look at it, like if you put your investor hat on too, like I've met with other investors over, over the years also, and it's like, If I was an investor, I probably wouldn't want to invest in egg hardware either, because it's got to be like the hardest business. It it needs to run completely perfectly for like four weeks straight and then sit unused in a shed Mm -hmm. for 11 months out of the year. Right. And then and then it has to work completely perfectly again. Yeah,
0: it's not 98 percent margin like software. So.
1: We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it, not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. Now, back to our show. So, it's
0: interesting. Started out with the hardware, solving farmers' problems, realized that, hey, electronics help us control this hardware better and do a better job for the farmer, make it more convenient for him. So, whoops, now all of a sudden we're in the electronics and software business. Then, I remember being at the National No-Till Conference, and there's this crazy contraption sitting on a off in the side there in the room. I'm like, what is that? Is that the world's greatest mole killer or what is going on? And that was the beginning of, um, I apologize. That's the ZRX, correct? The, the yeah. roller. And, uh, at that time. So tell us about that, that right turn or the naivete, as you said, that it takes to, to go that way.
1: So
2: if you go back five or six years ago, There was lots of talk about um, water quality. There was the Chesapeake Bay watershed um, issue and the regulatory pressure that was going on there. And, you know, the Des Moines Water Works uh, thing was going on. And I sort of looked at it and I was like, you know what? The regulatory pressure that's going on, we, we could look at, you know, What's going on in Southeastern Pennsylvania as a model for what's going to happen eventually throughout the rest of the country um, ended up not being the right thesis whatsoever. Um, because it, it just, there's no appetite for that type of regulation. But we started saying, okay, we're going to become the company. That is going to it, for people. I, I started seeing these soybean, cereal, rye, organic no-till programs, right? Where it's like, okay, we're one part of the business. We're going to make increasingly high-tech, sophisticated equipment for large midwestern farms, and that have a certain business model and are going to get bigger and bigger. And we, you know, we we now make systems that e- e- completely make the planter really robotic. The farmer makes no decisions whatsoever when you're planting, Um, but at the other end, it's like, okay, who's my, who's my customer there? My customer is a farmer who's uh, farming probably not less than 2,500 acres, usually a lot more. They're growing only beef essentially almost only corn and soybeans right even the wheat market like you'll you'll kind of get there sometimes on the edges and whatnot but what about other farms right and and you look at some of these guys and okay now we're on happy days are here again now with high new crop corn prices and so on and so forth but if we just remember even just a year or two ago here like this was a bad deal
0: uh two months ago
2: yeah i mean i mean it was a bad deal and people are and 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 you look at it, it's like, okay, are these guys making money? We're, we're we're selling more technology. Every little ag tech startup that you see probably a litany of them wants to have their little, like there's so many just farm management apps out there now. I can't even, you can't even keep them straight. And it's like, you know, or regenerative farm management apps where it's like, okay. And it, there's just no differentiation. And then this and that and drones and blah, blah, blah. And like, it's like, wait a minute, do these guys really like, are we, are we improving outcomes for these customers? Because really that's, that's what I'm doing. These are the customers we're serving them. Right. And we're supposed to make their lives better and generate real value for them. Well, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, you, the investor are are actually the customer, not the farmer. Correct. They're in the business of raising money, you know, but anyway. And so it's like, okay, well, are we, are we really making these, their lives better? OK, so what what would be what is their objective uh, and their objective in farming is to to make money, to make a sustainable business and to make a, a, a business that will allow them to hold on to the farm and 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 hopefully pass it on to the next generation. And if you look at a lot of these farms that are in that sort of 300, 500 acres, sort of maybe even a thousand acres in some markets, like what? If 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 you if we look into the next five years of automation and farming, why do these farms need to exist? Why does this farm? Why why does the, why does the market need your three hundred acre GMO soybean, you know, corn farm? It doesn't. There there's no reason for you to even do it other than the fact you want to keep doing it. So what would be another model where we 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 start from? the perspective of how do you make the most money farming and then work backwards from there. And what I came to was that organic no-till is the way to make the most money farming, right? Because you are selling your outputs for the most amount of money and you're putting the absolute minimum number of inputs into it. Where we've, you know, in mainstream corn and soybean agriculture, like inputs have just gotten... Out of control, and then there's just every nuts little input. Input this, and you know, and it, it. Okay, what if we? What if we instead of having a conversation about like yield, which everybody loves to talk about yield, we talk about what is the real net income that's being produced? Because nobody
0: acre. can figure it out. Yeah.
2: Nobody can figure out what their net income is. And, and, well, and they can look where at where the yield monitor. No,
0: but today they just they don't have a good handle on what that what that profit is.
2: I mean, there are some software products and some sort of ERP kind of farm software products out there now that are giving real-time profitability maps mm-hmm. on the farm, right? Where it kind of aggregates every single input and every single operation you're doing.
0: But I'm saying 99 and a half percent have no clue. Right. They right. know on an enterprise level, uh, but not yeah. on a spatial level. Exactly.
2: And, oh, here's this area. Like, why am I even farming this area? Correct. And, and, and that's why I think the absolute, you know, if you could change the CRP program to allow people to take arbitrary pieces of a farm and put it into CRP, that would be game-changing for the soil. It,
0: it, you know? Well, we're going to have a little fun here in a little bit. I'm going to ask about why rows, but mm-hmm. uh, again, you know, that could be a, a different crop why not be permanent pasture there why not a silver sure. pasture why sure. don't we just Definitely. run livestock in there or, or tree crops in that portion and and why do we have 60 90 120 foot bars planting stuff in rows really mm-hmm. i mean this is 2020 we've got technology to do something other than a row
2: But uh, anyway,
0: oh let's back up just a little bit on before we go there <laughs>
2: You know, and, and so we basically said all right we're gonna we're gonna start looking at organic no-till because we think the farmers can make the most money per unit acre. And then we're going to make every single solution that the farmer needs, whatever it is in order to do that. So that started off with the ZRX roller crimper, which is this really, really amazing device that empowers farmers to plant into essentially any type of cover crop condition and, um, and manage it. Like, you you know, all of this stuff that's out there, when you talk about like the indigo agriculture and everything else where, and, and where it's like, well, if farmers will just no-till, then, then, you know, we'll do all this and the soil will do this and carbon, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, if they will just no-till. And and then I hear a lot of things where we just assume where it's like, okay, well, no-till, no-till works better. Right. Well, so, so, so because it's proven that no-till just works better, then, then we'll just, we'll just go out and just have farmers no-till. And it's like, well, you know, drive around. Okay. Why? Okay. So why are the farmers not no till Why are they not? Why are, why are they, uh, why is there the per- perception that you're going to have a yield drag when you're planting and covered crops? It's, it's not because it's a perception because it's actually happening.
0: Well, and there is a fear component to it too, or they're just planting cover crops. And they're not changing anything on their nutrient system. You see, that's what we're all about is if, if you're going to change one thing, you change everything, whether you want to or not. So if you're, if you're changing everything by changing one thing, you need to address everything at once. And uh, yeah, you're right. If you just add a cover crop, you're, you're, and do nothing with nitrogen management as an example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Congratulations. You just signed up for a train wreck.
2: I'm very weary of the customer that goes all in right away. I, we, I don't want you to, when you're radically changing your practices, Mm -hmm. don't change the whole farm, do a hundred acres, Right,
0: I do enough that you can see it, like a hundred acres or twenty percent of your acres or something, where you're you're in it.
2: Yeah, but there's going to be a process of sorting that all out. And the customers that just go all in, that don't have the right sort of, you know, comprehensive group of solutions and thinking and advice that they need to have success, um, are are going to fail. And then once you lose that customer, you're you're now. You know, nope. you're going to lose them forever because maybe, maybe grandpa or dad is sitting there like, you know, wanting it to not work anyways. And
0: well, you remember what happened when everybody slapped a row unit colder on in the eighties on a John Deere 7,000 planner, it worked for a couple of years. Cause we just had mm. perfect conditions. Mm. And then we had the average conditions or the wrong conditions. And in the eighties, no till meant no yield everybody's like oh no till no yield and I, you lo- you're right you lost an entire generation there mm-hmm. i mean it had to wait until grandpa was was gone until that could come back again so yeah
2: exactly. yeah
0: you've got yeah. you got one chance you screwed up and it's it's over so
2: you know so so that ZRX came on and all of a sudden you know we could make that work and then we're like okay well you know in a lot of the northern corn belt areas just getting the cover crop established is going to be a problem so then we came with a a very low cost simple but effective inter row seeding device in the dual seeder yeah and then we came in and i was like all right well look we 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 you know we've had kind of limited success with these organic no till soybeans and cereal rye but you're always getting kind of weeds breaking out in some areas, they come in from at the edge of the fields, you're never going to get perfect weed control. So if we want to scale this and something that we can sell this to a wide variety of people, you got to have some sort of other answers. So originally we thought, okay, the, the the Romo device would be just something that you could run between the rows and just mow down weeds if just to keep a disaster from happening, right? Clean it up so so it doesn't, so it looks good and and keeps the the, the weeds from overtaking the field. And and that that idea sort of morphed. Um, then, you know, you also have, well, as things have come along, um, getting people to wait long enough to plant the beans in order to use a roller crimper system is very, very difficult to do. And so okay, let's look at solutions that are something that you can roll after planting. So there, that's where the enroll product comes in. And, and, and that's actually a handy product because people, the farmers will take the products and actually use them for unintended applications. And like, um, you'll use that device to, in some of the, the kind of permaculture, there are actually people doing large scale sort of permaculture stuff where you'll, you'll, you'll try and leave a living cover crop kind of running uh going between the rows you know as we get into corn because corn is corn is hard and um and to get into the wide rows you know but and, and so all right right, we'll, we'll maybe you know guys we'll start trying these systems where you're going to grow a clover a, a thick stand of clover and then you're going to try and just grow corn into it and radically reduce your nitrogen inputs, and and kind of just keep a perennial, not a perennial, but a, a you know a, a living cover crop, all the time, right? And then maybe we'll stunt it with the interrow roller, just to kind of let the give corn. It a chance to corn. compete. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 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 with soybeans, the organic no-till soybeans, I believe this is doable, and this is a this is actually something that a a mainstream farmer with uh, can can get a fairly predictable outcome from
0: sure and we did it last year non-gmo soybeans we planted rye and we harvested it within crop you know doing the the mock uh, mm-hmm. approach and then uh um never applied herbicide no pre-emergent no post and it's like hmm that's interesting that's a great organic transition step but yeah yeah the corn organic uh, meeting with the rodale institute this afternoon but uh, that's that's the bummer right is getting that getting that dialed in organic no-till corn we figure that out we're we're set man
2: so so here's where we're going and i don't know if you're aware i'm kind of changing so what we've tried before is the living legume cover crop where you either mow it between the rows or you roll it and it has not worked out well i wouldn't say it hasn't worked at all but it hasn't worked out well enough to really if you had like lower corn prices i think it would it you know it because you're you're competing against a a A conventional cropping system.
0: Correct. A seven to eighteen dollar spread is not as much as a three fifty to eighteen dollar spread. So you can you can make money with a guarantee now in conventional uh, today that you couldn't a year ago.
2: And you know, people were thinking, well, if the carbon marketplace thing panned out, then that would help kind of tip the scales a little bit. But sixty bucks an acre now. Now there's just like a self flagellating sort of aspect to the carbon market. i i mean i feel like the carbon marketplace thing is going to crash and burn here yeah there's no basis to it it's practice based
0: it's not outcome based it's just well okay that's another that's another podcast
2: (laughs) i just don't think that there's the adoption right Like, are, are, do you think those companies are getting people to sign up and sign up bakers? Well,
0: they're getting some people to sign them up. They don't know what they're doing. I just talked to FBN yesterday and it was kind of like, well, we think maybe this kind of, well, you know, we don't know. It's five years, maybe, you know, come on, you gotta, I mean, they're just, they're just tipping her. They're just, it's a typical startup, right? It's test and iterate, test and iterate. And we're the guinea pigs, you know, farmers are the guinea pigs where you and I, the way we approach it is we're here to help the farmer, not, not make our farmers test subjects. And uh, anyway, I, but I think the biologic, the organic no-till approach that you did there with underground is, is awesome, but I I don't want to run out of time before we talk more about this automated row unit and uh and what you what you got
2: well well, so so let me let me close loop on that one more time so so you talk about wide row corn right so you know the strip intercropping stuff has really taken off big time and you're seeing you're seeing a lot of growth in that um the kind of jason mock uh wheat bean intercropping thing i mean you've seen a lot of people sort of go that way but in corn you know i've um we've partnered with uh zach smith the stock from stock Cropper. Mm-hmm. and um, we're making this. In fact, it will probably debut in June. A mini stock proper. because okay, when I when I told you about underground agriculture, we're going to make a comprehensive range of of products for regenerative agriculture. It, you know, it, it became pretty clear to me a few years ago that there's going to have to be a rotational grazing aspect of this. We're not going to be able to really create high-performing soils that, that you, you can't divorce animals and animal byproducts from the system, okay? So I said, all right, well, well, how do we do that? And that's where, you know, dating back now three, four years ago, I started patenting around the idea of this robotic rotational grazing system. Um, and you can actually look at that art um, uh, where it's essentially a, a, a moving, you um, it would be it would actually sort of compete i got the geo geofencing collars i i'm not down on the geofencing collars okay i think that there's room in the marketplace for different solutions and cows have a way of like you know Getting out and doing stuff, even in the best situations. All right. So, so the original idea was that we would have this sort of robotic um, grazing pen that could move in arbitrary shapes and sort of move animals around in an arbitrary geometry throughout the pit. All right. And you know, and and I'm probably going to get there, but our focus is really row real crop farmers. And said, and so when I met Zach and I looked at what he's doing, I'm like, you know, this is really kind of align with our vision because what you know, what, basically what what here's the plan you grow wide row corn like maybe 90 inch twin row corn or something like that mm-hmm. and then we're actually going to have these very slow moving solar powered rotational grazing pens moving like goats or sheep or chickens or something automatically between the rows and that we're going to use the animals as a tool kind of harmoniously with the mechanical and the digital stuff and it's like let's hey we want the the, you know the the stuff that manure does for us we want that and we want to spread it around and we want um to control weeds and you know let let's use the animals as a machine to control for weed control. And hey, and the output we get from it is uh, very high quality meat products. You know, it almost has a benefit. And so the the um, the mini uh, stock proper system uh, will be originally made for a 90 inch row and it's just going to creep along and it's solar powered and it's just going to creep along between those rows and it and we'll see where it goes um but I think that we're going to get and there okay you're growing less total corn cuz you're on the wider rows but I think you're getting more sunlight to that corn too and you're getting the value of the animals And I can actually envision a future too where you're actually generating energy because we're gonna generate far more energy than we're using. And, and so if you imagine a solar farm that happens to have 90 inch corn in it, right? You're, you're, you're making up that revenue stream in a couple ways from the crops, from the chickens, the, the sheep, the, the hogs, whatever we put in here from the energy that you're using and that we truly could, we really could make a carbon negative farm this way. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Um, yeah, it certainly can be done. Um, you know, when I was out visiting with Zach, I, he was talking about, well, if you look at the revenue that you can generate, you know, off the original stock cropper, which was a 20 foot configuration, um, you know, with the pastured hogs and the chickens or whatever he was doing there. And they had sheep in the front, chick- uh, hogs in the back. And you look at that and he's like, well, the revenue per acre we can make. And I asked him, well, why are you, why are you doing it on 20 foot centers? You know, make that a rotation, do the whole field. Mm-hmm. You know, but going to your 90 inch row would allow you to get more maximization because he was only gaining, you know, the sunlight advantage on two out of eight rows, mm-hmm. uh, you know, eight rows of corn, eight rows of livestock. And um, so that's uh, interesting. But I'm I'm going to get to my row rant in just a minute with you. But, uh,
2: well, but anyway, I think with Jason, OK, so and this is the piece from an investor piece that I would really look at. Um, so then we come with the idea of carbon hyperloop, all right? So you you look at you look at farming, right? As a, as the put this big box around the whole thing. All right. You're you're taking inputs and they're coming from somewhere and they're getting hauled by a truck, and then you're growing this crop, and then it's getting like harvested, put in a truck, put in an elevator, shipped somewhere else, fed to animals, which then gets shipped to distribution, which then comes back to a store. And 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 it's this huge, huge like chain of loop that that goes between creating this crop and then all the way when it gets to either fuel or food or something else right Mm -hmm. but what you can do with this system is you're creating the carbon hyperloop you're doing that entire loop but a tiny little loop inside of the field so so all that other inefficiency and and this is speculating this is not like you know i'm not you're not calculating it, but there's a lot of transportation and a lot of inefficiency. And so say, for instance, you, you, you just cut all that stuff out. It all costs something, right? And, and so we just keep, we, we keep everything going inside the field. Oh, we have huge confinement operations and we got all this manure. We can't even figure out what to do with it. Okay, so we're solving on that problem too. And then the output of the field is a high quality, nutrient-dense meat product. Or so it's energy.
0: My dad said to me, he says, you know, in the past, his his dad or his granddad, anything that you sold off the farm, walked off the farm. And essentially that's what we're looking at, what we did in the 1930s is and earlier. Is anything that that you sell off the farm walks off the farm because you grew the crops then to feed your own livestock to take to town. Same concept. And yes, you'll gain that efficiencies. And I think there's some economic cost savings, obviously, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they're, they're really minuscule until those energy costs really start to go up. But the big thing is the revenue opportunity because the consumer number one driver they will pay for is local. Mm -hmm number two and is welfare and sustainable like organics number five okay Mm. so that what you offer with the with your carbon hyperloop or 1930s farming but carbon hyperloop sounds (laughs) way cooler Uh, (laughs) i love it the uh uh is that you create a higher margin product that the farmer can can benefit from and i'm all for that that is awesome
2: but there's a piece that's missing which is the distributed animal carcass processing, right? So right now, right now, if you, meat packing is a centralized thing, right? You're kidding.
0: It's centralized like grains and like, like everything else in agriculture, centralized, commoditized.
2: (laughs) Everything about this system is distributed. We have distributed energy production, distributed animal, distributed live, you know, manure, everything is distributed. But the one thing that's not distributed is that so, but I've been seeing, uh, you know, you see on Twitter, these these mobile meat packing trucks that come around and they slaughter an animal right there in the field. I'll tell you what, that's the missing piece of the puzzle. And if I was like an investor kind of looking forward into that sort of, you know, five, 10 year horizon, that's going to be a piece that is hard to duplicate um, that I, you know. Is just going to be needed that, that there isn't an answer for right now.
0: The mobile truck will work if you make it robotic. The problem robot. is the problem is the people have to go with the truck to do the slaughter. And yeah. people don't want to travel that far to the radius that that needs to, to generate the throughput. And the other thing is, is, 15 head per day is not profitable to pay people that are going up a dollar per year in Illinois, uh, on minimum wage. And even if you could pay people that you could find, nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to be a butcher. It's not fun. It's damp. It's greasy. It's bloody. It's, it's cold. It's repetitive motion. And it's not a fun job. People don't want to do it that is something that needs to be robotic however it's extraordinarily difficult because every animal every nuance is is different it's going to require advanced levels of intelligence and robotic motion and such to make that happen but when that does come joe that is you're exactly right because then we can we can go to the farm it's the best for the animal you know last minute they just took one bite of grass they're in heaven right. you know you drop right. them in the field you leave the uh, entrails in the field that you can't get secondary uh, products out of but then yes uh, the cut and process thing that that needs be that needs to be robotic because because nobody likes to do that that's even worse than adjusting the residue managers on your planner the,
2: the, the plant-based meat people are are like you know getting wound up right now. And honestly, I don't care about plant-based meat. I wouldn't either way. It's all pea protein. It's all something that's being grown Not by sure. one. The only
0: thing is I think the soil that. loses because we, we grow more leguminous crops uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna burn a lot of carbon out of the soil I, and we ship I, more and more beans and peas and, and that worries me.
2: People that that, that somehow neglect the, the healthiest soil is soil that has Manure integrated into the system in some way. Like you, you hit a, I, you you kind of hit a plateau with with um, soil health unless you unless you do incorporate manure in in some way. And and just people that have this idea that part of the um, carbon sequestration um, equation does not involve animal byproducts, I think is just it's just madness actually. Mm-hmm. But whatever that that conversation is a, um, you know, completely.
0: Well, that's what we're doing on our farm, uh, integrating livestock. We've, we've got cattle, hogs, chickens, lamb, Egg layers and they're integrated across the landscape grow cover crops graze the cover crops ahead of planting you know graze cover crops that are interseeded after plant after harvest we uh have regen year we we'll we'll take 160 320 acres and just graze it that year so so we're doing I sounds like years. you're a
2: candidate for a stock cropper mini
0: <laughs> well i think uh <laughs> it'll take a lot of them to do it so um we um you're to have it's 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 a scale problem with with ninety inch, but I think it's um. But on to, you know how how we're farming today. Something that I I realized this spring while I was you know watching the planter go and and in the row, and I got frustrated because we spent. It just seems like every year I spend fifty thousand dollars on the planter for some latest newest and doodad mm-hmm. new and gizmo. You know I've got, you know V apply HD for all three nutrients we're putting on. I've got. Uh, the furrow force closing system. I'm sorry. I know this is, you know, mm-hmm. brand X stuff here um, and does a beautiful job. And I was so impressed with the closing system this year. I'm like, aha, finally something that works great in no-till cover crops and stuff works great. Except for when uh, we run into what my dad calls a sex stone and it, and it plugs up the row unit other than that work. Fantastic. Um, you know, and everything is going on and I'm just thinking why, Why are we doing this? This is stupid. This is the same as what they were doing in Egypt, pulling an ox with a, with a, to make a seed furrow, have someone else come in, drop a seed and then someone else come and fill that with dirt. I mean, we've been doing this for 10,000 years. This is the dumbest thing. Why are we planting a seed in a trench? Everything we do today, whether it's, you know, downforce to control it and the, the, the nitrogen banders and the residue managers to, so we don't have hairpinning to make a furrow. Then we can't close it. And we got to break the sidewalls with some sort of device. And then we have to have a furrow closing system all because we have this freaking furrow. And I'm like, why do we have to have a furrow? Because then we have to have rows. And when we have rows, we have erosion. Why can't we have a swarm? This is what I want from you, Joe, a swarm of robotic little, drone dudes that go out there and the seed is embedded in a something like a uh, golf tea and that golf tea contains all the biologicals and nutrients that it needs and a time-release polymer for its entire life and then you go plant that in whatever pattern you want across there if you want it in 90 inch for your chickens great if you want it in 10 and a half inches equidistance fantastic but we got to get rid of these 60,000 pound planters carrying 50,000 pounds of fertilizer and seed pulled by a 500, 600 horsepower tractor, uh, to put stuff in 30 inch rows. It's just dumb. I, I, we have, we have reached, I, I'm so impressed at one hand of where we've gotten to, but it's just, it's, it's compounded stupidity is where we've gotten to. And you look at, I I have a harvest international planter. Okay. Because, I don't like throwing away everything that you have to, when you get all the aftermarket doodads to put on it. But I look at the total dollars of doodads I have versus the total dollars of iron I have. And the doodads are probably two X of the iron. And that's just crap. That is just wrong. And and We have limited capabilities. So I challenge you to have the non-seed trench planter,
2: please, please. (laughs) The problem is the business, right? Um, You know, again, people go broke having the right ideas too soon. And um, the second mouse gets the cheese. The uh, the vast majority of the world are not like you. And if you if you I'm in northern Illinois right here, if you if you draw a 500 mile radius of where we are and you look at the way those fields are farmed and, you know, the, the reason why, you know, this goes back to the previous conversation. Why, why won't people just no till, right? Um, well, people won't just no till because that's actually a mechanical problem. That's a solvable mechanical problem, right? Because why does conventional tillage work, uh, or or strip till?
0: Uh, you know biological you, and chemistry problem too. I mean, it's it's all three.
2: You're you're, you're providing an environment in which you're going to get optimum performance out of the planting equipment and the early growth of right. the crop, right? As we have the uh, planner. And, and you know and so I used to be very earlier in my career in my 20s I would be so paranoid about innovation and time scales and like, oh well, I got to do this right now because blah 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 it's everything it's like no and then I've realized over time that the the industry is actually not changing that fast and that some aspects of it are changing fast but really if you take a modern planter tractor, you know, it, it's yeah, there's more doodads like you're talking about makes it a little bit better, but fundamentally the whole thing is not really that different than what you would find 50 or 60 years ago.
0: Right. The maxim or whatever, maximum emerge row unit came out in what? 74.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We're coming up <laughs> on the 50th anniversary.
2: It, it's really, it's really not that, that different. Right. And what are the, you know you're you're an investor right you want you want to get returns out of your portfolio in, on like a 5 or 10 year time frame right and this 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 i think is really the problem the, the part of the blame falls on in the investment community because of the short time frames that you're looking for on your portfolio when in reality the industry you you can't brute force the industry to change like that quickly right it's, it's incremental change. Okay. Now you're seeing all the sea and spray technology come in. Some of that sea and spray technology has been around a long time. Um, And you're gonna, you're gonna dramatically reduce the amount of herbicide you're, you're spraying. Right. But that's not really radical change. And I I don't think um, maybe they'll get to the point where you could have a field of like a six way cover crop mix and it'll pick out, you know, the weed in the six way cover up mix and spray that. And that maybe that future will get here with machine learning and so on and so forth. And I, I do expect it to get there. Eventually. That but
0: is um, here. The ability to spray it out separately is the problem. The identification's yeah. here.
2: Yeah. And it, and it's, it, I most of that stuff that I see the litany of robots and blah, blah, blah. It's a robot doing the same farming practices that people have been doing for a hundred years. And everybody's like, rah, 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 we got robots and we got electrics. It's like, you got a robot. that replaced a person. Pulling a cultivator through a field that doing what looks like, it could be 1950 with a robot. It's almost dystopian in the way you look at it.
0: See, because, I see the stuff we're technology.
2: doing on the ground, nobody nobody wants to invest in that. Nobody wants to change that. The real agronomic practices.
0: But that's the exciting part. See, is that the technologies that are coming out with sensing technologies, artificial intelligence, and, and, and those kind of things to make regenerative ag or soil health practices work, there's there's two main limiting factors. One is labor, it's more labor intense. Typically, you know, when you're integrating livestock and, and doing you know multiple. You're doing seed separation because you're co-harvesting. You're doing stacking enterprises, all these things. That's more labor per acre than driving a 48-row planter across the field. So robotics can help with that. Part two, though, is the management. It's much more management intensive. Okay, you put out roundup ready crops with an eight-way stack genuity, you know, plant it, spray it. You do the same chemical program on everywhere, same, same stack everywhere. Whoop, done. I mean, there's not a lot of management to that, but all of a sudden, when you have all these stacked enterprises and all these decisions to make on how, how fast should that chicken tractor move, right? Well, it depends on how much the forage is ahead of it. And so that's a decision that has to be made every day. Well, that requires a person with that ability to make that decision. So that needs to be replaced with a sensor and and intelligence. And, but what I, what I'm getting at is that management component and that uh, labor component of regenerative that's holding it back right now. We are very close to, to technology enabling that, right? But there's still the will of the farmer willing to do it, right? That's a separate issue. But we're so close to, if we could just get ag technology and aim at the right thing, instead of, you know, driving a cultivator like we did in the fifties, aim at the right target, we can get there really fast and enable it. And, and get to that higher margin product of the organic no-till like you're talking about. That that's that's my vision of where we could go with this.
2: I mean, what if it doesn't even need to be robotic? Like what if I mean, maybe some of it needs to be robotic, but maybe it like the farmers want to farm. Getting out and driving the tractor is like the best part of their year in some cases. That's
0: a great point. You know, yeah, it, well, the leather seats are pretty nice nowadays. It it, it
2: i don't know i don't know i mean i i love mechanization and everything but well, are we are we solving their their biggest problem their, their
0: biggest problem in and it, it is not aligned with the soil's biggest problem right and yeah. i look at it from what is best for the soil and if i should be spraying at 2 a.m that's a tough decision because it's it's hard to do. You know, if we should be planting all night long 24 hours, you know, that's where the robot portion comes in. Mm-hmm. And you know, yes, it's great to drive the tractor, but like you said, what's the purpose of a farmer? You know, if you, you know decouple the it. land from them and you decouple and you send in the robots, then all of a sudden we got a whole bunch of unemployed tractor drivers. So we have to get beyond being a tractor driver is the ultimate goal.
2: Mm-hmm. And go back to doing more kind of farmer type stuff right right um being a farmer right. if, in the right. way that being a farmer looked more like in your grandparents generation correct right but i you know for the record though i'm not i personally believe that a, a lot of these regenerative solutions that we're talking about they need to scale right correct if, if we can't scale to 500 or a thousand acres then it's not i don't I don't want to be in solutions that don't scale to at least that level, which will take that family-owned farm that wants to keep going. They got 500 acres or something like that. It's really hard to, to compete. There's no opportunity to grow. There's no land to expand on. They have to think different. What's an alternative way of doing things? We at least have to get to that level of scale.
0: Because right now, regenerative space dominated by homestead-farmstead scale, so 5 to 40 acres. There's very few Gabe Brown, you know, Will Harris's, the, the, you know, three to 5,000 acre folks, you know, that
2: depending on what is regenerative. Correct.
0: Correct. You know, I'm talking all five soil health principles, integrated yeah. livestock and, and diverse crops and selling direct blah, blah, blah. But I think we can, we can help them. If we create the tools, then, then we've eliminated a barrier too, but it's a matter of the chicken and the egg
2: oh, we make it so easy. The
0: demand or <laughs> how does that work?
2: We gonna make it so easy where you just, you basically can push a button and make it happen. And yep. um, you know okay. I talk to, to Zach uh, frequently about whether there's non-traditional farmers that might actually be our customers. Exactly.
0: I think you're onto something there.
2: Okay. Tell us about the Milwaukee
0: factory, press release came out about that. What's the vision there?
2: Um, so we are basically going to be making the large implements, the 16 of the 24 row. We okay, So we've been an aftermarket company for a very long time. And my objective is within five years to not be in the aftermarket. I want to be making complete whole goods. Um, the, the first two product lines will be the complete strip till systems, which are going to grow really dramatically because the product just clicked finally. Once we perfected the automatic down pressure control, all of a sudden we've perfected the uh rolling coulter strip till system because the biggest problem that needs to get solved there is in fact depth control. Um, and then there will be a new, uh, a new planter coming on, a, you know, a certain time frame also that um, is coupled to those large pull types. You know, I originally like a year and a half ago, two years ago, I, I designed a sort of 75% concept of the um, whatever uh, uh, I think the technical term is a DIPL planter or whatever um, that uh, a seed injection unit. And I actually um i backtracked away from that because i i don't i don't think the market is ready to go to full scale with an idea like that on a fast enough time scale you know we are entire we we run on cash flow there's no outside investment in don equipment and so that the projects and the stuff that we do needs to support itself and i think <laughs> i just don't think i can move farmers fast enough on a certain time timeframe um, with that idea, but I may come back to it. Um, but, so there's gonna be another planter, which is um, takes kind of the status quo technology and ratchets us up on, you know, still a lot higher, a fully- A lot, a lot more
0: automated control. decision-making process as far yeah, as it, it, depth and residue manager control and, you know, down was, pressure, all automated.
2: A zero soil uh, or a, a zero operator decision-making mm-hmm. high-speed planter. And where we want to make fun in in automatic down pressure control, we are making time will tell. We are the worst marketing company and the worst sales company. But over time, our down pressure control solutions will, will become the best solutions on the market. They are, they are by design, going to win in that space because they're fundamentally a better design. Okay. So, but, but if I want to come to market and really like, we talked way, way back about steering the ship and competing against some of these bigger businesses, if I don't have that seed meter piece of the equation, that's the fundamental heart of that planter. That we can't, we're never going to compete unless we have that, uh, you know, that piece of the puzzle too. So we're going to come with a complete thing. And like you said, with your Harvest International planter, right? The, the era of taking the John Deere planter and like taking all these pieces off this other piece. No, we, we've now, we have an active depth control closing wheel system, act, automatic depth control system for the planter. By the time you take all the stuff off, you got nothing left. There's no point in it. So, you, you know, we're just going to make you a complete row unit that you slap on there. We'll make you the frame too. But if you want to put it on your existing frame, you know, your your 10 year old 1770 frame or something, you know, you can stick it on there too. So it'd be right. like
0: what you the model that you did with the pluribus and and those kind of things that,
2: The go from there you know it's ended up needing its own toolbar but so, right. so that's going to be sort of an interim solution um the plant we have in milwaukee uh used to be part of Bucyrus cyrus international um make they made right on our floor where our new laser cutting machine is where they made the steam shovels that dug the panama canal it's this Massive facility. We needed overhead cranes, and so if you go out looking for a place with wide enough beams that you can make a sixty-foot toolbar, um, set up a line with that with the overhead crane service. There's not a ton of places. Milwaukee has the existing sort of manufacturing infrastructure that we need in order to support um, all of the suppliers that we need for steel and everything else. And um, we're just gonna just gonna go for it, you know. I, am I turned 40. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, viewing time and mortality in a different way than I did in my twenties and my thirties. And I just view, I view time as being so finite and I, I need to just accelerate and do things faster and just, and, and, and go bigger, try bigger things.
0: Well, I look forward to the bigger things you're going to accomplish because you've accomplished some pretty big things already. So it's going to be fun to see. We're going to follow you close and, and, uh, cheer you on all the way.
2: Well, it's going to be a wild ride. We appreciate it. There's
0: no better, no better ride than a wild ride. So Joe, thank you so much for your time today. I I really, really appreciate it. I hope you've given the farmers that are listening to this podcast, some things to think about. And uh, I look forward to how our, our, you know, our companies are going to interact in the, in the future. And we're both advocating for soil health and you have to have the equipment to do it. You have to have the knowledge base to do it. Uh, we're we're all in this together to make it work. So, uh, pretty excited about that, Joe. Thank you for your time.
2: Yeah. Hey. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, you just listened to a great example of why ASN embarked on this journey we call Aggie Merge, where we can have events and podcasts that bring together researchers, thought leaders, and growers to brainstorm and explore all the possibilities that can be implemented to improve our production and soil health systems. And if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement those soil health systems and practices, then check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You know, there's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.